0: Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. The Christian philosopher Peter Kreeft once said that there are three things that we all need, things that we know that we absolutely need and look for. And these three things which he calls the three transcendentals are in the order of their importance, in the order in which they exist in nature. Truth first, we all look for truth, and we all look for what is good, and we all look for what is beautiful. He also says the way we respond to these three transcendentals is the exact opposite order. So what catches our attention first, what we want first, is not the truth, but what is beautiful, and then what is good, and then what is true. Interestingly enough, this was the exact same order in which I converted out of my family's faith of Sunni Islam, became an atheist before I came to the Lord. On April 1st, 2011, a Turkish plane like this one landed at the JFK airport, carrying many people from Turkey, some European countries, and one man from Iraq that was about to experience a radical change in his life. A few days earlier, I had quit my job in which I worked as a sanitary engineer for eight years in the Iraqi Department of Public Works, said the final goodbyes to my family, came to this nation with one bag, with one contact, a poor woman in the Amish country of Pennsylvania, and with only enough money for me to survive for a few weeks. The planned part of that tour was, well, that trip was a one-week tour in New York City. I was admitted as a visitor. The unplanned part was everything else. I just came to this nation to be free, and to have dignity, and especially to be free to worship the God I believe in the way I believe is true. Within a few months after my arrival, I met over a thousand people who rushed to call me a brother. And God led me through those insecure months in the Amish country until at the very last day when I ran out of the last dollar that I brought with me from Iraq, I started to get paid to go to school to study the book I had a secret love affair with back in my hometown of Baghdad. My name is Wissam. I am 42. I was born in January of 1979 in Baghdad, Iraq. The next month, Ayatollah Khomeini led the Islamic revolution in the neighboring Iran. A few months later, Saddam Hussein started becoming the Dictator of Iraq and the war broke out between the two countries to last for eight years. That was my childhood. I was literally born and raised in a war zone, a place that was not told to love one another. Shortly after the end of the Iraq-Iran war, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. We had the sanctions that lasted for 13 years in which my whole family lived on one dollar a month. And we had the Gulf War, the first Gulf War. Now up until that time, Saddam Hussein was not a religious leader. He was a secular military dictator obsessed with the Soviet model. He wanted to turn Iraq from a rural community into a military power. But he realized that he could not impose a secular socialist system on the predominantly religious Muslim people of Iraq when there was a revolt against him, a Shiite Muslim revolt against him in the south. So after he crushed that revolt, killing tens of thousands of his own people, He started to put on a show of Islam. He wrote Allahu Akbar on the Iraqi flag. He ordered the Quran to be taught in the Iraqi schools before graduation from high school. He built hundreds and hundreds of mosques all over Iraq and he started to turn the Iraqi community from being more secular to being more Islamic. My late father retired in 1992, pretty much did not do anything ever since. My mom, a self-sacrificing, hard-working woman started working as a seamstress, mending the clothes of our neighborhood to provide for me and my family and the Iraqi version of the Great Depression. I was in the middle of my teenage years in the middle of the 1990s when it was obvious that Iraq was at enmity with every other country in the world. We did not have the terrorism that ravaged Iraq the next decade, but that hatred was a culture that was preached in mosques, taught in schools, communicated through the limited channels of the government. We had two government-run TV channels, three government newspapers, two government radio stations, and that's it. The internet, the satellite channels, cell phones were banned under Saddam Hussein, even though they were common in all the neighboring countries of Iraq. And I decided at that time to not be a part of any culture that preached hatred. Hatred towards you when I did not know you, when I did not have any reason to hate you. It is very ironic that it was hatred that caused me to forsake my family's religion and change my country to come to another country only to see the same hatred preached on Facebook and in the comment section of every news website against my own people. Like every Iraqi, I had that vacuum inside of me. Something did not make sense. Something did not click. I did not have the satisfaction that I was looking for. Unlike the devout religious people of the Muslim community of Iraq, I was not distracted from realizing that vacuum. Praying five times a day, fasting every Ramadan, reading the Quran without bothering to understand what the Quran really says. In all fairness, we did not starve for food or water because of the sanctions years. We had a socialist government that provided us with our basic needs almost for free. But we were starving for a different kind of bread and a different kind of water that we did not even know. My four-year-old sister passed away in March of 1996 because of food poisoning. My mom, a panicked mother in the funeral of her daughter, was begging for someone in the funeral to provide her with a shadow of hope that that innocent child went to heaven. No one was able to provide her with that hope, and the only man who was knowledgeable in Islam told her she will be judged for the very first breath she took in when she was born. That's when I started to think, what kind of God is that? A few months later, my uncle got cancer. He was my most favorite uncle. He was so kind and so generous. He was so humorous. We had so many inside jokes. But he would cry every time I talked with him when he was in his deathbed. Not only because he saw his death coming, which he did in a few days, but because for the first time in his life, he was unable to go to the bathroom, to get ritually clean, to do the Islamic prayers every Muslim is required to do five times a day. He was in bed soiling himself. He thought God was done with him and he died without hope. It was at that time that I decided that's it between me and God and everything that resembles religion. Decided to forsake Islam and became an atheist. I thought I would be happy if I were an atheist. Imagine living in a world where there is no God. There, is, there are no consequences to whatever you do. You have a beginning and you have an end. And yet somewhere deep inside of me, I was not happy. Imagine. The happiness that you would be when there is no God that says that everyone is promised hellfire. What's the point of godliness and piety anyway? But once again, I was not happy. Somewhere deep inside of me, I was looking for a sense of direction. I was looking for an ear that listens to me. I was looking for an eye that watches over me. I was looking for a heart that loves me. And in order for me to satisfy that vacuum inside of me, I wanted to entertain and distract myself. Watching movies, listening to music, I learned English, I started reading. And most of the movies that I watched and the books that I read quoted the Bible. Now a Muslim believes that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, that is one of the six pillars of faith in Islam. A Muslim has no problem with the inspiration of the Bible. Muslims challenge the preservation of the Bible though. Islam teaches that the current Bible that we have today was not the same Bible, is not the same Bible that was delivered to the prophets and apostles of old. I was not religious anyway, so I did not care. But those books and those movies continued to quote the Bible. It made me so curious to get a copy of the Bible, especially when I was in my second year studying civil engineering at the University of Baghdad when the first Mission Impossible movie was released. Tom Cruise picked the Gideon's Bible and read Job 3.14. That was the first time in my life I ever see the Bible. I decided to get myself a copy of the Bible only to understand those quotes and those movies and those books. So I went to a flea market in Baghdad and bought my first Bible, which was the Gospel of John. I did not find Job 3.14 in the Gospel of John, so I was thinking, well, Muslims were right. Everybody is making up a different Bible. I mean, who's John anyway? Something caught my attention though in the Gospel of John, the way Jesus pointed fingers at the hypocritical religious authorities of his time and his place, calling them liars. Something you're not supposed to do in a Puritan Muslim community. I was raised by two devout Muslim parents that taught me that every Imam is a steward of God's word and we should not question them even when they misquote their own scriptures. Well, not that Jesus in that book, which I did not care if it was true or not, that called his own religious leaders liars. I did not care though, threw the gospel away, finished my second year in college. I was in the summer holiday between the second and the third year back at that same flea market flipping the New Testament. I saw the Gospel of John in the New Testament. That was the first time in my life I learned that the Gospel of John was not another Bible as Muslims claim, it was part of the bigger book, so I bought the New Testament. Few days later, I realized that the New Testament was part of another bigger book. I ran out of money, borrowed money from my cousin, and bought my first complete Bible. I was so impressed to see in the Bible an accurate description of a world that I was familiar with. Babylon, that's 50 miles to the south of my parents' house. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, these are the native Iraqis that my own forefathers invaded and drove them away to live in villages. Nebuchadnezzar, the pride of the Iraqi history, whose poster was next to Saddam Hussein's picture in every street corner in Iraq. The captivity, the pride of the Iraqi history that we learned in the public schools in the seventh grade. And I was thinking, wow, whatever, whoever made up this book really knew his history and geography. That's when I started to fall in love with the Bible for being good, way before I believed in it for being true. The Bible is a good book, believe it or not. It preaches love and not hate. It preaches peace and not violence. It preaches forgiveness and grace and not vengeance. Things I did not normally associate with religion. It preaches consistency. It preaches and it, 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 it admonishes you to have uh, uh, like uh, to, to to be truthful. Things I did not normally associate with the religious community. I had so many questions about that book that I already started to fall in love with. I did not have any Christian friends in my neighborhood. I did not remember having any Christian friends in the first two years in college, but when the third year started, I saw a man with a big cross on his shirt. He obviously failed the third year. And I went to him, I said, sir, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. He was a member of the Iraqi Chaldean Catholic Church, the biggest church in Iraq. I said, I got myself a copy of the Bible, and I have a few questions. Do you know your Bible? He said, go ahead. I said, Do you Christians believe that you are saved by God's grace or by your obedience? Yeah, one of the book of Romans. Like every preacher, he did not directly answer my question, <laughs> but took the opportunity to take me aside and explain the gospel message to me for the first time in my life. I was 19. How God is a loving God, but at the same time, He's a just God that does not tolerate sin. So He sent His Son to take our sins on him and die on the cross for us. It's a combination of God's grace and our obedience. I said, that's impressive. I have one more question. Do you really believe that? You know, here in the Western world, you will describe an absolute truth as of a gospel truth. Back where I came from, the word Bible is synonymous with corruption and deception. When somebody lies to you, you would say, your rhetoric is as corrupt as the Bible. I know that the most educated part of the world is too smart to follow a made-up book but do you really believe in the Christian faith because who in his right mind believes in a god that is one but he's three persons at the same time he said oh yeah we believe Next day he brought me some literature that talked about how many tens of thousands of Bible manuscripts we have today in the museums from different times, from different places, written in different languages, all matching each other. There is no way the Islamic claim that the Bible was corrupted is true. And I was so happy to learn that the book that had the solution to every problem my community is suffering from turned out to be true. I was so happy to learn that the book that was both beautiful And good, turned out to be true. I thought everybody else would be as happy. I was wrong. (laughs) It is unthinkable in an Islamic community to think of converting out of Islam. The first person I tried to share the gospel with was that woman that I loved the most, the woman that gave all that she had and all that she is for me to send me to school, knowing that on one day I would probably leave her for good. My mom used to wake up before me to make breakfast for me every day, even to the very last day before I came to the United States a decade ago. And at that time, she would not answer me when I say, good morning, mom. One morning, I asked her, mom, what's wrong? She turned to me with tears on her cheeks, grabbed me by the collar and told me, please tell me what did I fail to provide to you that you do this thing to me? I said, what thing? She said, I've been working day and night to make a human being out of you. I've been wearing my eyes out on that sewing machine, send you to school, and you have been using my money to buy that blasphemous book that I've been seeing among your college books. Look at yourself, grow up. With that, with the lack of encouragement, with the lack of wisdom, with the fact that I started to lose most of my Muslim friends after they learned that I've been reading the Bible and did not gain any new Christian friends. And with the fact that I got Started to get harassed by the religious authorities in my neighborhood. I came to that point where I thought to myself, This is just wrong. Maybe there is no God. Maybe the gospel was just another philosophy I wanted to entertain and distract myself with. And that's when I renounced the Christian faith and gave away my Bible. A few months later, I realized that the hope and the satisfaction and the assurance that I had when I claimed God's promises in the Bible as my own would not be replaced with any security in life. I'd rather be a harassed, persecuted Christian with hope than a comfortable non-believer with no hope. So I got a new Bible in English this time so my mom would not understand what I'm reading, and I continued to read the Bible in secret for the rest of my stay in Iraq. My biggest challenge was that it would take me 12 years going to every single church building in Baghdad asking to get baptized in vain. So I finished school in the year 2000, finished my mandatory military service as a Republican guard in 2002, was employed as a sanitary engineer. My first paycheck was $17 a month. A few months later, the American army came. Thank you for your service. For the first time, we started to be open to the rest of the world. We started to have the internet, uh, the, the, the satellite channels. I would go online and research Christian materials and download Christian songs and and sermons and upload them to my mp3 player and put my earbuds and listen to them when i take the bus to work every day as i read the chapter from the bible in fact the second thing that I ever downloaded from the internet was the e-sword, the Bible program, everything continued to have that same tone to it, until that one morning in October of 2009, when I was in, in the Iraqi Department of Public Works, making a phone call, on my way from the second to the first floor, when a truck bomb rocked that building, that was supposed to be a video that will not be shown, and a second truck bomb rocked the second building a few hundred feet away, that was the Baghdad City Hall. 1,500 people got killed or injured in that double explosion, I came out of it without a scratch, I was in the concrete staircase. We moved to a substitute building in another neighborhood in Baghdad, and that building had an internet cafe next to it. I used to go to that internet cafe every afternoon after work, I had to pay a flat rate to use the internet for an hour. Didn't take me more than a few minutes to check my email, after which I would be looking around random things on the internet. And one day I randomly Googled free Bible study. And I was too lazy to see the second hit. I signed up for freebiblestudy.org. A woman was assigned to grade my Bible tests. That woman would be the only contact I had when I came to the United States. She asked me on her first email in April 13, 2010 if I had any prayer requests. I said, prayer requests. Ma'am, I've been a believer for 12 years and this is Baghdad where we don't exactly have a baptistry in every street corner. Would you please pray that I can be baptized? And would you please pray that I can live in a Christian friendly community where I can say Jesus is Lord without getting killed right on the spot? That same day, April 13, 2010, I came across a free book called Bible Basics, written by a British man called Duncan Heaster, who had a ministry in Latvia. I ordered a free copy of that book, gave my mailing address, the man answered me with an automatic email introducing himself and his ministry, and he said, and I believe if you're not baptized, you need to be baptized in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and if you're not baptized, I can come over and baptize you now. I said, I appreciate that, sir. I'm from Baghdad. Read the address. (laughs) He said, I'm coming to Iraq and baptizing you. May 26, 2010, he came all the way from Latvia to Kurdistan in northern Iraq, paid for my bus ticket to go from Baghdad to northern Iraq and baptized me in a bathtub. That woman used to be a caregiver for a quadriplegic man in a Christian man's house in Boyertown, Pennsylvania. She told the Christian man about me, who told her. Tell that Iraqi if he plans to come to the United States, he can stay with us indefinitely for free, and I will help him establish his life. A few weeks later, the American embassy in Baghdad started issuing personal visas for Iraqis for the first time in 20 years since the Gulf War. So I applied for the visa, quit my job, packed my one bag, said the final goodbyes to my family, flew all the way from Baghdad to New York City, took the bus from Port Authority to Reading, Pennsylvania, where that man and that woman were waiting for me to live with them. I came from the 7 million people metropolis of Baghdad, and now I ended up in the woods of Pennsylvania. (laughs) I was depressed. The money that I brought with me was getting less. The government did not promptly answer my asylum application. I had no idea what's next in my life, but that was a very spiritually refreshing part of my life. We almost had a Bible study and a hymn sing every day. And during one of these Bible studies, I met the first member of the Lord's Church, an elderly man who asked me, young man, what brought you all the way from Baghdad to the Amish country? And he would be the first man who would listen to what you are listening to now, this morning, as my story. He said, I want you to share that story at my congregation in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. I said, sir, only a few months ago, I could not even go to church without raising unnecessary suspicions. And I have never spoken in public, not in my second language. He said, you need to testify to what the Lord has been doing in your life. And he had me speak on a Sunday morning service in his church, the preacher of which turned out to be a graduate of the school that I eventually ended up going to. And the man said, you need to go to a Bible school. And he started raising support money for me before he could pronounce my last name. And before I knew it, I was in my first day in school in January of 2012 with the dean of students asking me about my plans after I graduate, like I've been planning this my whole life. I said, what plans? How did I end up here in the first place? (laughs) And then I remembered that for years, every night back in my hometown, I used to pray to God to do exactly what you are doing this morning just to be free to go and worship him and fellowship with other believers, to sing his praises, to study his word. And in return, I'm gonna serve him for the rest of my life. Every Christian, the Bible tells us, has a gift, a talent that we are expected to invest in God's kingdom. My gift happened to be my Muslim background and my Arabic culture. So I said, I plan to take the gospel to the Arab communities here in the United States. I finished school in the year, 2014, relocated to the Detroit area and started the Arab Christian ministry that tells Muslims about Christ and tells Christians about Islam. A decade ago, I used to hide my faith to stay alive. Today I share my faith to make a living. Look at me deep in the eye and tell me there is no God. I would like to conclude with this story that happened within a story. In November of 2004, when I was assigned by my office to go with another engineer to the biggest county in Iraq, a city that is 40 miles to the west of Baghdad called Fallujah. The American army had just retaken the city from Al Qaeda and the city was destroyed and we were supposed to restore the basic surfaces in that city. We met with two local engineers. We picked a piece of land for the future Fallujah Water Department We had shish kebab in one of the few surviving outdoors restaurants in that city that used to be the richest city in Iraq, filled with mosques. Their proud citizens are known for their guns and for being rich. So it's kind of like the American South. They are rich, they are religious, and they have guns. (laughs) And yet the city was empty, and it was quiet, and it was dry, deserted by its fortunate families right before the military campaign. We took a car to go to a sewage lifting station when we were stuck in a traffic jam. Traffic jam, where did all these people come from? The city is empty. They said, we have no idea. It turned out to be a traffic jam made by an American army checkpoint specifically for us. They pointed their guns toward us, told us to open the doors, get out of the car, put your hands in the air, put your faces on the wall. The American soldier pointed his rifle to the back of my head. Oh, they saw us taking measurements to that piece of land. They thought we were terrorists planning a mortar attack. At that time, remember the time, it was 2004, six years after I believed, six years before I got the chance to be baptized. That was the only thought in my mind, that in a few seconds, I will meet a God that will not be happy with most of what I have done in my life. And all I thought of was, God, I tried. My hand got tired, I was holding papers and books, and I said, can I lower my hand? He said, can you speak English? (laughs) A few minutes and a couple of radio calls later, they apologized to us and let us go. My point, I literally saw death with my own eyes, and the only thing I was thinking at that time is where will I be spending the eternity? It was very clear, even to a college kid in Baghdad in 1998, that if you want to be forgiven, if you want to be saved, you need to hear and obey the good news. And the good news have to do with the bad news. And the bad news says that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. The good news as Paul says is that Christ died for us according to the scriptures, was buried and was raised on the third day. And the way for us to be saved, to be forgiven is to obey that gospel that I am preaching to you this morning when you hear it and believe in it and confess Jesus as Lord and Messiah. Repent and be fully immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and stand fast on the Christian faith. If you have not done that already, please do so as we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky.